said, the point of Genesis is that God made everything and that he made everything very good. That's in Genesis 1 verse 31. And he says, and even though he made everything very good, humanity stuffed it up. Humanity wanted what they wanted as opposed to what God desired for them and in the process broke fellowship with him. So God made everything very good, man stuffed it up, and so God sought to fix our stuff up by sending Jesus. He said three points of what the Bible is about. God made everything good, we stuffed it up, and God said everything, or set to fix everything by sending Jesus. Now, regardless of what it is that you believe regarding this, I want us to just grasp that God is the one that's in charge, that he is the one who reigns supreme, that he is the one who reigns sovereign. And I'm going to read to you this morning just the first five verses of Genesis chapter 1. And I'm not going to break down scientifically or anything like this, but as I was reading this, God spoke to me about how he desires to insert himself, to inject himself, to intervene himself into the various circumstances that we may find ourselves in in life regardless of what they may be, and that we would never have our eyes blinded by what we see in front of us, and that prevents us from seeing the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love that He manifests toward us continually. So the focus of today's message, once again, isn't the foundational reality of chapter 1, verse 1, but we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 2. And see what he has to share with us today. So, let me begin by reading. Genesis chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, sorry, God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Just bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen. We thank you for the account of Scripture that shows your heart, your love, your greatness toward us who are just in such need of you to reveal yourself to us. So I pray this morning as we look at the Scriptures, you'll speak to us, you'll speak to us and reveal more of yourself to us and that we as your children would be captivated by the sheer magnificence of who you are. So we commit ourselves to you now. Please help us to lay aside any distractions so we can focus solely upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as mentioned in verse 1, we have how God created the heavens and the earth. But what I like is as you read the Scriptures, how there are comparisons that you find, pictures that you find within the pages of Scripture that can be just as applicable, or applicational to us in our context today. 
So, I want you to have a look at verse 2. Because what verse 2 is, is how I describe as an accurate description of what today is like when God is excluded from the situations or from the circumstances that one might face. If you look at verse 2, we read this. There are, there are like four things in these verses. There are like four things that describe what the world is like. And the fifth thing I want to look at is how God seeks to address each of those situations in himself. And so the first one we look at, we read in verse 2 this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There you have those four things, formless, empty, darkness, and I just, the last one I just put it has waters, waters, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But it's the fifth thing, the fifth thing that is mentioned in this verse that addresses each of these other things we might face in life. The first one, formless. Everyone say formless. Formless. Everyone say that at home too. As the word suggests, there is no shape. There is no structure. There is no order. There is no boundaries. It is literally without form or without restraint. You want another word for that? Chaos. Without form, without restraint. It's chaos. There is a potential for something to come about. There is a potential. There's a potential for something to be made out of this formlessness. But like my coach Casper said, his name was Casper. My coach Casper said, he said, potential is a rubbish word if potential is never fulfilled. Potential is a rubbish word if potential is never fulfilled. And a potential that is brought about here is only brought about when God speaks in verse 3. So when I look at the current state of 21st century Australia today, when I look at the state of the 21st century world, I see a society that has no boundaries. I see a society where boundaries are being broken, are being ignored, or just outright removed. In other words, a formless state of society as God is removed from the picture. As God is, is moved further away or, or pushed further away out of the state of the world today, we see this formlessness taking place in our world today. You see this. You see this at where, where moral boundaries... Moral boundaries are discarded as morality is now considered subjective. What is right for me is right for me. What is right for you is right for you. Where biological boundaries have been dismissed, where somebody can be what they want because they feel like it. You have biblical, biblical truths that are denied as the so-called theological experts say that this part of the Bible isn't to be trusted or say that God doesn't exist or that Jesus was just a man. You have these type of truths now that are being take, taken down. You have parental boundaries being ignored as the right to care for your child is being taken away by the government, which is insane to think, to think. Now, please, I'm, I, I, I pray that Australia doesn't end up this way, but I do know there are certain steps to be taken as you watch the news. But I do know in the US that if a child, the child can go and want to change their gender to a teacher and their parents have no say in it whatsoever. And if a parent denies their child gender change, they can be removed from their parents' care. 
So parental boundaries are now being infringed upon. Marriage boundaries are being denied as, as adultery is no, longer, is no longer considered a bad thing. It's now called an affair, really? You have all these boundaries, one after the other. Actually, traditional marriage is looked at as what? As antiquated and irrelevant for today. It's, it's, not, it's not progressive. Biblical values are not considered as being progressive enough. We have boundary after boundary. We have value after value. We have standard after standard. We have truth after truth that is slowly being eroded away, creating a society that is becoming more chaotic rather than more free. That's what we're discovering today. And the Bible talks about this. People, Paul talks about this in Romans 16, 18. He says how such people who are not serving our Lord Christ, but they are serving their own appetites. And that by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. You read in Jude 16, Jude 16, should I say, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. You read in Philippians chapter 3 that their destiny is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You have now today, you have now today where things are being promoted publicly that were kept private in the past. I was talking with my wife yesterday as we read the news together at times. And apparently in the US, they are trying to change the way that the, uh, I guess you could say the label, the, they're trying to change the definition of the word pedophile in the US. They're now trying to call it a minor attracted person. They're now diminishing something that's considered sinful to make it more palatable for the public. You know what I see when I look around in the world today, when I see people do such things, I see a formlessness that is becoming a norm in the world today. A formlessness that leads to more chaos, not more freedom. A formlessness that leads to more bondage rather than liberty. A formlessness that takes us away as we continue to leave God out of the picture. But if you look at that verse, I just want you to bear in mind, I mean, as, as, as doom and gloom as that sounds, if you look at the verse again, what do we read where God is? The Spirit of God? He's hovering above there. He's still there. Even with that formlessness and chaos taking place, he's still there. So you not only read formless, you read what? The second, the second thing, that it's empty. Everyone say empty. Empty. This is self-explanatory. It means without substance. It means hollow. It means desolate. It means vacant. Basically, it means that there is nothing there. And while this is describing what the world is like here in Genesis before God deliberately steps in, this, is much, this applies just as much now to the 21st century today. In Australia, 
there are these messages that are given that says things like, if you have the ideal job, you'll find true happiness. If you earn this much money, you'll have ultimate fulfillment. If you live in this suburb, if you have these clothes, if you look this way, if you hang around these friends, the fulfillment, the contentment, the satisfaction in life will finally be yours. You can take it easy. Those are the message that is a, the messages that are portrayed in the media. You watch it in movies. You watch it on TV. You hear it on the radio. You're on your social media sites. When you follow your Twitter streams, all those things, you see these images of what real life is supposed to be like. And then when you, when you chase after those and you open it up, what do you find? Nothing. You find that it's not enough. You find that you want more. Boris, does anybody know or remember who Boris Becker is? Adam Saeed, who, who is Boris Becker? A tennis player. Yeah, he was a great tennis player. And he, he, he was very successful. After, after his like, Grand Slam, I think it was like a second or third Grand Slam that he won, an interview, a reporter asked him, says, what are you going to do now? Boris Becker replied, I'm going to go home and try not to kill myself. And people were like, well, what do you mean? And essentially it meant this, that he had made it to the epitome of the tennis field and found it just as hollow, just as empty, just as desolate, just as vacant as everything else in life. He got there and found nothing. And, and that's what we have today. We have, the, we have ourselves reaching after these things only to discover that once you've attained them, that the sense of accomplishment, the sense of satisfaction you receive, it vanishes just like that. You all know this. You want to buy your house, and you've bought your house. And I, please, I'm, I'm not knocking buying a house. I think that is wonderful. But if you buy your house, then you're like, okay, I've got my house. Now what? Mortgage. Bills. Lawns. Gardening. Cleaning. And you think, wow, there's still all this to go. When, when, you're, when you're parents, you say, wow, it's my child. I love my child. And then, then you've got a whole bunch of other worries. Wow. Education. Skills. Are they okay? Is this okay? And what's worse is as they get older, the worries just change. Now you worry about, oh, well, my, my son. My son is 28 now. I still worry about him every so often. Wow. He's, he's, going, he's going overseas to do some fighting. And I'm like, wow, that's okay. He started hunting. He bought a bow. And I'm like, hey, that's really cool. Now I'm thinking, is he going to get shot by somebody else? Just different worries. They, they, they just change. Ultimately, things are empty. If you read in Micah, Micah chapter 6, I want to read this. This is what life is like when God is excluded. He says this when he's talking to Israel about their punishment for their sin. In verse 14 and 15, I'll read the first part of, uh, last part of 16. It says, you will eat, but not be satisfied. You will store up, but save nothing. Because what you save, I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olives, but not use the oil. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. 
at the end of verse 16, where he, therefore I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision, you will bear the scorn of the nations. What an absolute accurate description of what happens when you try to exclude God from your lives. You harvest, don't get anything. You press olives, you don't get to use the oil. You press grapes, you can't drink the wine. You have all these things that you invest into, but when God is excluded, nothing comes of it at all. It's empty. It's hollow. It is desolate. Peter refers to us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, being redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. But what he says is what he redeems us from. And you know what the precious blood of the Lamb redeems us from? Verse 18 says, from the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors. We are redeemed from the rat race. We are redeemed from trying to achieve that which does not last. We are redeemed from the temporal. We are redeemed from the fake. That's what we are redeemed from. And that's what we are delivered from, from the emptiness of life. But remember, even in that emptiness, where is God? The Spirit of God is hovering above the waters. He's there, even above that emptiness. Third thing we are told, darkness. Everybody say darkness. What is darkness? And I've shared this before, and you guys know this one. Darkness is the absence of light. Just like how evil is the absence of good. How is God described in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Thus, we have a world now where God has been removed from the standards of society. That in some places, even in Australia, you are not allowed to have the Ten Commandments posted on school grounds. I know at the school that I work at, you are not allowed to have public prayer on school grounds. That if you are going to have a religious group, you need a note. And if you don't have a note from your parents, you are not allowed to attend those Christian gatherings. Well, any religious gatherings. I mean, I have to admire the consistency of the school. At least it's consistent over everybody. But they're trying to remove, not only in schools, but in society in general, that the Ten Commandments are deemed as regressive and restrictive, where biblical standards are seen as bigoted and burdensome, where they're irrelevant, and where truth, where truth itself has been completely wiped out. That seems to be the standard today. And, and when Jesus says in John 14, 6, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, essentially the way the world is working today is trying to wipe out who Jesus is. His identity as the Son of God. The credibility that he has as Messiah. Darkness. When, what happens when you take light away? Darkness reigns. And so when we look at a world where chaos reigns in its formlessness, a world where substance is lacking in its emptiness, and a place where darkness is present, all of that takes place. That formlessness, that emptiness, that darkness is all because God is absent. Not even God is absent. No, that's the wrong word to say because even God is still above the waters now. It is that man has pushed God out. 
God, man has thought, I want to live apart from God. John 3.19 states clearly that mankind prefers what? Darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. What is evil? It is the absence of good. It is the absence of God. That's why it is dark. Psalm 52 verse 3 lays out clearly that humanity loves evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. We are entering an era where people call evil good, where they'll call good evil, who will put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and put sweet for bitter. That's in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. And that's resulting in a world where common sense, which I think is one of the greatest gifts God has given us, common sense has been cast aside. Where television and movies and platforms have now become places of indoctrination for particular ideologies. The internet that is now a place where everybody is brave because you can hide behind your keyboard and make claims about certain things with no accountability. Where, where everybody, Christian and non-Christian alike, are being herded into the state of, of sedated silence. Where people are fearful of standing up and saying something. Where parents are fearful of taking the side of their child for fear of what, the, the, I guess you could say, the mob has to say. That's what's happening in the world today. The more I see and recognize God being left out of the public square, I see the drifting away from righteousness, from goodness, from integrity, and from holiness, not even outside of the, outside of the church, but even within the church, let alone the community. I see us moving more into a society that is dark, where everybody spends all their time looking at their phones. I came back from the city the other day. I, um, I, went, I went to the city with my daughters. I took them to a concert, and on the tram back, it was hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious, but it's just everybody. The tram was jam-packed. Terry, great job, mate. I love the work you do on the, working the trams, buddy. But I'm sitting there, and I, I make a point not to look at my phone when I'm on public transport. Call it paranoia. I just always think, if somebody came in and wanted to king hit somebody or throw a punch at me, I want to see it coming, you know? I'd say, I'll, I'll, I'll always, with a train, tram, whatever it is, on a bus, I'll never look at my phone. I'll always just sit around and I'll, I'll listen to music, but I'll always be looking around just in case somebody comes in. I don't know, they might throw a punch at somebody else. I want to be able to, okay, you know, it's stupid. Okay, sorry, sorry. It's my own old man paranoia, okay? But I was watching and in a jam-packed tram on the train home, a jam-packed train back to and from the city, there was heaps of people on the platforms, at the tram stops, just doing this. And that was it. Just people staring at a phone, hypnotized by the little screen that they held in their hand. And I was just like, that's crazy. We have lost the ability to actually just interact with people, to just talk with people. The only people that actually acknowledged me was another old man who was older than me, who probably didn't even have a phone. But he looked at me, and I looked at him. He did this. I did this. And I thought, great, there was interaction. But it's amazing how with this, what happens when you're staring down? You don't see anything else. You, you're actually in darkness there. 
and you're feeding your mind that feeds your heart with more darkness. Now you can sit there and say, oh, I was listening to a sermon, Joe. I was listening to you, Joe. No, don't listen to me. Seriously, okay? But we are drifting more and more into darkness because, we are, because God is absent. God is absent from our lives. God is absent in relationship, in our relationships. God is absent in every aspect. And it's, it's a sad thing to see the result of that take place. Then the fourth thing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I don't know why my nose is running. Okay. Fourthly, waters. Everyone say waters. Waters. One of the aspects of the ocean is this. It is constantly moving. It is in constant motion. Waters may be raging in a storm. It may be tranquil on a summer's day, but it's still moving. It's, con- it's, it's constantly moving. Sometimes it lifts you up. Sometimes it drags you down. But overall, it never stops. But here's what I find interesting about life in general. You know this. You know this movement. You know whether as a, as a young married couple, as a new parent, as a single that's studying, as somebody that's working, it, whatever it is, your life is always in constant motion. And you know what I find really fascinating about this? That even with all of this movement, even with all this motion, even though we might experience the highest of highs and then experience the lowest of lows, the encouragement I draw from verse 2 today is this, is that God is right there. And he doesn't stop the motion. I want you to bear that in mind. With his presence being there, the motion doesn't stop. Life doesn't stop. Ups and downs don't stop. But how we handle them, how we deal with them, wow, that is a completely different matter. You see, the encouragement that I draw from this verse today is how he wants to speak into your life. He wants to speak into your circumstance. He wants to speak into your situation because whether it is the formless chaos of broken boundaries, whether it is the empty substance of false purposes, whether it's the willing walking away into darkness or the constant motion of life, the reality, the fact remains that God is there, that he is hovering above each of them, that he is dwelling in the midst of them, that he is remaining involved with all of them. He is there and he wants to speak life into each of those situations, whether it be chaos, whether it be emptiness, whether it be darkness, whether it be motion. He wants to speak into all of them because in verse three, what do we read? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. He wants to speak form into the formlessness of your life. He wants to speak substance into the emptiness of life. He wants to speak light into the darkness of life. And when you have those things, when you have form, when you have substance, when you have light, what does that enable you to do? It enables you to navigate the motions of life that you encounter. That's what he wants to do. 
You see, the whole record, the whole record of Genesis 1 is God speaking form into that which was formless, bringing order into the chaos. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 in the King James says this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. You may not completely understand what's going on, But the confusion doesn't come from God. The confusion comes from us not understanding how God is moving in each of those situations, how he's moving in that chaos. Giving substance to that which is empty. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died and rose again. What does that mean? That means our purpose... It's not about us living about us, living for us, but living for him who loved us and died for us and rose again. Bringing light into darkness so, as Ephesians 1.19 says, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Why is it enlightened? Why is it enlightened? So that we could know the hope to which he has called us. We would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and we would know his incomparably great power to us who believe. I think that the blessing of this reality is that God desires to inject himself into our need, into our circumstance, and he does this in the person of Jesus Christ. He injects himself into our lives through the person of Christ. See, the gospel, the good news, is about how in Jesus there is form given to our formless lives and that we were trapped in sin and that we were condemned to hell and being made new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And because they have become new, we are now the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and verse 21. He wants to speak that into our lives. We can't deal with our sins, so Jesus came to deal with it for us. See, the gospel is about how in Jesus, our emptiness is given substance as we are made complete in him. Colossians chapter two, verse nine. Now I know I have said in the past how my wife, my wife, I love my wife, how my wife completes me. And as romantic and as wonderful as that truth sounds, it's a lie. Why? Because my completeness is made whole in Christ. I am complete in him. And then I am blessed with my wife who is strong where I am weak, who gives me tenderness where I lack tenderness, gives me compassion when I lack compassion. And that as a vessel, as one flesh, we are then able to be about bringing glory to him. And that now that I am complete in Christ, now that I have given substance in Christ, I can now be about his work as I am what? His workmanship, according to Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel is about, about giving me form, about giving me substance. The gospel is about how we in Jesus are brought into his glorious light and who has made us to be his chosen generation, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, 
his, his peculiar people, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that we're a people belonging to God. That's what he has given us. He has brought us into his glorious light where we can praise him for what he has done for us. The gospel is about how we in Jesus can live in a constantly moving world. I don't know how your week has been the past week, but I'm pretty sure I can say it wasn't like the week before or the week before that or the week before that. Things change continually. Contexts change continually. Job situations change continually. Life changes continually. And because life changes continually, what's the only thing that is the constant, I guess the, the one constant thing that takes place in our lives? That's Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when I go down, when I'm dragged down in the waters of life, he's still there. That when I turn away and walk in darkness, he's still there. That when I look for satisfaction in other things, he is still there. That when I enter into some sort of chaotic situation because of a stupid choice that I've made, he is still there. That's the gospel, the promise of God's presence, the blessing of God's anointing, the enablement of God's spirit grants us to be in Jesus more than conquerors in him who loves us. What is it, Romans 8.37? Regardless of the ups and downs, the darkness, the chaos, the emptiness that life throws at us. So, in light of this knowledge, Whatever the, the chaos is in your life, whatever the emptiness or, or the darkness or the constant motion that you're going through, how do I then live in light of this knowledge? With all that surrounds me, with all the darkness, with all the emptiness, with all the chaos, with all the motion, and I cannot speak for you, but what I've discovered personally and I've shared this with some of the leaders when we had a Bible study. What I have been discovering is, what, no, not even discovering, the rediscovering of my first love. The necessity for me to get back to the basics of, of prayer and crying out to God with a contrite heart because he listens to a contrite heart and a broken spirit. To look at the greatness of his love and worship him for that love. The adoration of, of, of being so sinful and yet accepted for all my sinfulness. To, to look at the, the, the joy of fellowship and seeing the blessing that you are to me. The gift that your friendship is to me. That God, and, and, and I know you may not appreciate this, but God in turn has not only given you to me to help me walk with you in this journey, but also he has blessed you with me. I don't know if you see that as a curse, but I'll take what I can get. But the reality is there. That's the blessing of fellowship to find practical support in my brother and in my sister. As Abel, as, as Abel was murdered by his brother and his brother and, and Cain sits there and goes, as I am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Yes, you are. You are my keeper and I am yours. That is the blessing that is given to us in fellowship. 
and, and I was listening to a podcast this morning, and a, a person just talked about fellowship, and he says, I hate that word, fellowship. I hate fellowship, because the way the church has defined fellowship today is a superficial interaction of trivial things. That's what fellowship is today. There is no living life with each other. There is no investment with each other. But see, that's the blessing that you are to me and I am to you. And, and that we could get past the superficiality of like, how are you going? Did you see the game? Uh, how, how are you going? I'm, I'm, we're going to go get a feed and, and, and hang out. But actually, like, bro, can I pray for you? Can you pray for me? Can I help you out? Can I come alongside you? That's the blessing that is given to us in, in fellowship, getting back to those basics, find support in the body of Christ. And then just by stepping out by faith and taking God at his word. So how then do I now live? Getting back to basics. Getting back to basics. And this then means a change of my perspective. A change of my perspective. Viewing life through the lens of God's love through the lens of God's mercy, through the lens of his holiness and his grace. And that's a, that's a viewing that I need to train myself to do. I need to train myself. Now, I, I, I injured my foot um, a little while ago. It wasn't done deliberately. It was just because I was getting older and my, I, I was suffering fascia or something. Fasciitis. Yeah, yeah, something along that. Yeah, thanks, Pam. And so what happens is whenever I walk on my left foot, my heel really hurts. Now, I've been taking some medication for it. And I've, I've now, I've now I, 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 can, I can run now. I can start running now. But I haven't run in three years. So I have to learn. Now, you might sit there and say, oh, Joe, that's easy. You're running. No, I have to, I have to relearn have to, how to run. At the moment, I've got that old man run going, that, those little steps. That, that's my running at the moment. And so I was talking with Pastor Roger. He says, I have to actually learn. I have to train my body again how to stretch out. How to actually take long, long things. I have to train my body to do that. If I can train my body how to run again, it means I need to train my mind and my heart and my spirit and how to view things from God's perspective and not mine. I need to train to see through the lens of God's love. I need to train to view the trials that I encounter from an eternal perspective to see that God has something in, in plan for me through this hardship, through this trial, through this darkness, through this emptiness, through this chaos. I need to train myself to do so. A perspective to see what he sees, to have a heart that aligns with God's heart and to move in time with the Spirit's leading. I need to train myself, and I invite you to train with me. I invite you to train with me so that no matter how chaotic, that no matter how empty, no matter how dark, no matter how tumultuous, our response would be to cry out to Jesus because he is there. And as I cry out to Jesus who is there, what does he do? He will speak peace into the storm. He will say, peace, be still. He will say, I am here and I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will say that in me, you can overcome all things. He will say, do not let your hearts be troubled because I am with you. That's what he will say. 
so with that, brothers and sisters, let's train together to see things from God's viewpoint. No matter how bad it may be, we know this, that our God is there. So with that, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And then I would encourage you to just come along somebody and work out a training program. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for the beautiful truths that are found within your scriptures. Thank you that you are there continually when things are formless, when things are empty, when things are dark, when things are are just continually in motion. You are there waiting to speak life into each of those situations. I pray that you will help us to recognize your hand at work, to see you move, to hear your voice when you speak, and that as you bring form to our formlessness, as you bring substance to our emptiness, as you bring light to our darkness, as you bring stability to our tumultuousness, Father, we would find all of that in your Son, Jesus Christ. So I pray for everybody here, whatever it is they're going through, I pray that you will help them, help them to see you, help them to see your, your hand, help them to trust, help them to, to just rely in you and the work you're doing in each of their lives. And I pray, Father, that through all of this, we'll not only draw be drawn closer to you, but we will fall more in love with you because of your great love for us. So we ask for you to dismiss us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.